There are two things in Scripture that, and there's more than two, but there, there's two I'm going to mention, um, that were kind of imponderables, were, were so big and so overwhelming, and they, they posed such a, um, a seeming threat that they are referenced throughout Scripture. One was water, interestingly enough. Uh, the common one that comes to our mind is from the New Testament. They're on the Sea of Galilee. The boat is being tossed all over the place, and the waves and all this, and Jesus is sleeping, and don't you care, and Jesus gets up, and what does he do? He commands the winds and the waves. Um, the water was considered to be something that was woebegone. It was something that was uh, overwhelming. Whenever you read about the waters or the seas in the Bible or the deeps in the Bible, it's in a sense that something is foreboding, an, an overwhelming, a threat. I mean, this, this guy, this guy, this, this beast, Le, Leviathan, comes from where? He, he doesn't come from Disney World. He doesn't come from, you know, Washington, D.C., although there may be some parallels. Uh, Leviathan, Leviathan uh, comes from the waters, doesn't he? He comes up from the deeps. Um, what does it say in Psalm 69, 1 and 2? Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I mean, that's, and, and by the way, that's one of literally dozens and dozens of scriptures you can find about how water is overwhelming. I almost drowned one time in the Caribbean. I, uh, it was a, just not a good day for me. And another time I was in the Caribbean, and uh, there's a big long story to this, which I won't get into, but I was going from one island to another island in a very, very small boat with several large, robust Caribbean women. And... Um, and the boat, as each one of them got in, kept sinking and sinking. And there, there was this, there's one, there was, there was only one life jacket on board. And I was trying to figure out how I could wrestle it from that old lady. And, um, uh, uh, and, and, as, we, and as we took off, of course, then the, the front end of the boat goes up and the back end goes down. Now we're even, water's splashing in. We're bailing it out, going between. And they all seemed to be blissfully unaware of how stressed out I was about this. The waters were a incredible threat to me. The second one in Scripture, um, by the way, God was the only one who could confront the waters in many of their, in many of their minds. The second um, kind of imponderable also comes from nature in the New Testament, and it's mountains. Now, mountains to us are still pretty, pretty, pretty uh, there, so big, so... But you don't understand... You know, because we have technology, we can take a plane and fly over a mountain. We have, we can take cars and ride over mountains. We, they talk about El Tuna and the region, this region here, as being the first frontier. What do they mean? This is the place where a lot of times people who are going west stopped. Why? Because to go farther west, they would have to deal with such huge mountain ranges. Mountains were considered to be that which many times kept you back from what you could become or where you wanted to go. They were immovable. They were imponderable. They were overwhelming. They were considered to be unconquerable. Even in our day and age, we, with dynamite and with all the abilities we have, we still regard mountains. Well, you can imagine in Jesus' day what a mountain must have been like to them. It was something that in no way, shape, or form you were ever going to conquer. It was just something with which you had to deal. 
And I want you to know that in your life, and this is a prophetic word for somebody here, that in your life, you have been dealing with a mountain in your life. You've been dealing with something that has been immovable, imponderable, uh, uh, totally overwhelming to you. And the Spirit of God would say to you today that you have bought the lie that the mountain cannot be moved. But I'm here to tell you today that this mountain can be moved. Jesus Christ is still the mountain mover, and he works on your behalf. Didn't intend to say that, but I believe that's for somebody today. Well, what's interesting is even there's one scripture that kind of puts the two of them together. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You can see both the mountains and the waters here as being a threat. God was seen as the only one who dwelled among mountains to make them what he considered, what many considered immovable, God was the only one who could cause them to be moved, and yet he dwelled among them. Now, here's the deal. Mountains are a symbol in our lives of things that are immovable, unable to be changed. They are obstacles to receiving God's best, and everyone has mountains. Is there anyone in this room who's never had a mountain? Is there anybody in this room who's never had a, a, a something come against you? Jesus makes it clear that there were issues in people's lives, and mountains represented those issues. Two portions of Scripture, both from the book of Matthew, just a couple of chapters away from each other, four to be exact. And here's what he says. In Matthew 17 and 20, he says, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, and notice I highlight the term, say to this mountain, move from here and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Isn't that amazing? Now what's interesting is he says, and this is where we get this reference to mustard seed faith, and, and of course a mustard seed was a very small seed, etc. And he says, if you can have a faith as the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be, move from here. And it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense in a way, but it's interesting that many of us are trying to flip that over and trying to get a mountain of faith to move a mustard seed. And the scripture doesn't say you need a mountain of faith to move mustard seeds. It says you need a mustard seed of faith. You need just a little bit of faith. Can I tell you what your faith is? Not in the notes. This is for free. Your faith is your obedience to the known will of God, doing things God's way in God's time for God's purposes, and he will accomplish great things. He will move mountains on your behalf. Your faith is your, is, is your desire to be obedient to the, to the will of God in your life. Faith and obedience are inextricably linked. And so, we have a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain. Just start somewhere. Just do something. Just make a declaration. Somebody says, do you, do you have enough faith? Do you have enough faith? Well, do you have enough faith to raise your hand? Do you have enough faith to walk to the front? Do you have enough faith to have somebody else pray for you? Do you have enough faith to say, I don't have $1,000, but I have 50 cents. I'll give the 50 cents and see what God does then. Do you have enough faith to stand, start out on the journey with one step? It may be a million-mile journey, but I'm stepping out with one step. Do you have the faith? You see, I remember years ago when I was sitting in, in, in my, my family was all the way, I was sick, I was dealing with uh, some sort of kind of a long-term chronic deal and, and um, had nothing to do with the bowels. And um, so 
they, they gave me these things to inject, B, B, B12, yes. I thought it was 13, but it was 12. And, um, and so B12 to insert into my leg, and it was thing, and it was really... And I remember watching the TV, and it was one of these faith preachers and one of these, you know, people that other people think are charlatans. By the way, because somebody else is a charlatan doesn't mean I can't still have faith. I don't... doesn't bother me if I disagree with how, you know, what's his name... What's his name? You guys, that's very cynical of you just to say Joel's name like that. I love Joel. I love Joel. I really do. We listen to Joel. My wife listens to Joel all the time. And, uh, but, you know, because I don't agree with his whatever, whatever your issue is with Joel, that doesn't mean I can't learn from him, can't grow from him. Or what's her name with the deep voice? Uh, what's her name? Um, her name I can't remember. What's her name? Oh, Joyce, see, you guys all know. I can't believe you're that. Oh, sheesh. And you fell for it twice. Anyway, um, so, of course, I had to lie in order to make that happen. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, again, we can, we can, you can read all kinds of things about her. That doesn't make the truth of what she's saying any less the truth. And so I can learn and grow from people, even people I, with whom I have some sort of disagreement. And so these are, these are little acts. These are little mustard seeds of faith. So one of these people were on TV, and I was injecting myself. No one was home, for which I thank God. No one was there. It was just me and the TV, and this person was speaking faith. And then they said to me, put your hand, and I, notice how I said that. They said it to me. Put your hand on the screen. And we had this little TV, this big. And what did Sweetie Petey do? He put his hand on the screen. This has got nothing to do with the guy in the TV. It's got nothing to do with even the guy with the hand. It's got to do with an act of faith and obedience. And you know what? God began to affect a change in my life, and he began to heal my body on that day. I want you to know you need a mustard seed of faith. All I needed was just a little bit of faith to reach out my hand. Would you reach out your hand? The second scripture that, that is spoken of in scripture, it, uh, uh, four, four chapters later, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you, say, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what has been done to the fig tree, and there's a big story behind the fig tree which we won't get into, but you can also say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. And again, I highlight the term, say to the mountain. Imagine listening to Jesus, imagine listening to Jesus, even today if we were to say, you know what, we're going to say to one of the mountains around here, I, I think I live, I, I, li I know where I live, I, it's somewhere down there uh, in Martinsburg, I actually live in the, in, the, uh, in the greater Metroplex Martinsburg area, and, um, uh, and so I don't live in, because in, I can't stand all the congestion in the city, and so, so, um, so we live outside the city, and you know, I think it's Saxton Mountain is the one I look at, out my front window. And can you imagine saying, you know what, I think I'm just going to believe God that that mountain moves. And it, it just moves and goes all the way out to the Atlantic Ocean and goes into the sea. That is, that is totally impossible. That is something that's not going to happen. Jesus is not talking about physical mountains, but imagine what's coming to the, their mind. And, and today we have, you know, if, if, they, if the government wanted to, they could get rid of that mountain. 
If, if somebody wanted to, they could actually get rid of that mountain and cart it all the way to the Atlantic Ocean and dump it into the Atlantic Ocean. That is absolutely possible to be done today. But in Jesus' day, that was just an absolute impossibility. It cannot happen. And yet Jesus is suggesting that they can start to talk to mountains and they can speak to mountains based on their faith in him that those mountains will be moved. Jesus is saying that the impossible is possible if we learn the lesson of dealing with mountains in our lives. We do not talk about our mountains, whining, complaining, questioning, giving up. We talk to our mountains. Is there a mountain in your life to which you should be speaking? Is there a mountain in your life to which you should be directing your attention? We don't talk about our problems. The scripture says we talk to our problems. I'm not so concerned about people who talk to themselves. I, I, I tend to do that. I talk to myself. I preach sermons before I get to preach them, and sometimes after I preach them, I re-preach them to myself. And, and I talk to myself. Listen, around my house, I'm the, you know, I'm the, like... I want somebody to talk to on my own level, so I talk to myself, and um, I didn't say if I was higher or lower, you know. And so, so, so it's, I'm not concerned about the people who talk to themselves. In fact, when we talk about emotionally healthy uh, spirituality or emotionally healthy leadership, one of the things we say is, you need to talk to yourself. You need to talk to yourself. And by the way, the people, and I'm just saying parenthetically, the people who are saying, you know, um, I, I'm concerned about that guy. God's always talking to him. God's always talking to him, telling him this and telling him that, or that girl, God's always saying something to her or saying something. And boy, oh boy, that seems a little weird. And yet the scripture says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And the voice of the shepherd, uh, the voice of a, of a thief, they will not follow. The voice of a stranger, they will not follow. Hey, I'm more concerned about the people who never hear God's voice than I am about the people who are always hearing God's voice. Because we serve a speaking God. But the scripture is teaching us that we, we are not to talk about our problems, we're to talk to our problems. Maybe you want to turn to your spouse and have a conversation right now. You talk to your problems. Turn to your teenager and start talking to your teenager. Well, here's the deal. I'm going to give you quickly just, I think there's seven quick points. Number one, recognize your mountain, but don't fear it. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing virtuous about saying you have a broken leg and saying I don't really have a broken leg. Okay? You know you have a broken leg. The doctor knows you have a broken leg. Everybody around you knows you have a broken leg. Walking around saying you don't have a broken leg doesn't make your leg any less broken. So we recognize our mountains. If you have a child that's wayward, and we went through this. We had a child that was wayward and, 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 and very, very wayward and more wayward than we even knew at the time. And it was a very great trial for my wife and I. But we used to use euphemisms like, oh, they're just not as close to the Lord as they ought to be. Duh. When they're when their mail started to come to our house and their name was on the top and then in the secondary line it said terrorist, you know, we kind of became suspicious, you know, or all their, all their mail seemed to be from some, you know, 
some help group like Alcoholics Anonymous or something. And we, we, we were just always trying to fluff it up and fluff it over. It wasn't until we started to say, our child is far from God, they need Jesus, they need the touch of heaven, and we began to declare it and we began to say it. No, we didn't, every time we saw them, we didn't start, you know, right into their face or anything like that. But we started to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, our child is not where they ought to be. And in the name of Jesus, we are not going to deny this. We're not going to act like it's not. We're going to recognize the mountain, and we are going to not fear it. That's the balance. We recognize it, but we don't fear it. We see our opportunities in the mountains. Secondly, we choose faith. Notice I said choose faith. Faith is a choice. You know, Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he, and he rebuked them, the Scripture says, because of their stubborn refusal to believe. In other words, they refused to believe. It's not that they couldn't believe. They didn't have the capacity to believe, or it just was so unbelievable that they couldn't believe it. No, they chose not to believe. And he rebuked them for stubbornly refusing to believe. Your choice to believe is your choice. I say, let's choose to believe. Choose in his limitless ability. Choose his love uh, and choose to believe his love for us. Choose to ver- believe the veracity of his word, the truthfulness of his word. It is a choice we make. It must be cultivated. I have to work with choosing to believe because, frankly, I'm given to doubt, so I have to constantly talk to myself about believing. When I was in my doctoral program, and, 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 and it was, uh, for me, you know, it was a challenge, I can remember sitting there, some night, you know, I am a man in my 50s, and I'm, I'm working with all these stupid young people, and, um, and, and, and they all are skipping all over the web, and, da, 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 and the things are happening, and, and they're jerks. Anyway, um, so, so it would just bother me, and some days I couldn't catch on to what they were asking me to do, because a lot of it you know, related to tech, and, and I, I could feel tears welling up in my eyes, and I would have to stop, and I'd have to talk to myself and say, Jowdry, you may be short and you may be overweight, but you can do this. I had to choose to believe. And there, was, and there was times I felt like giving up, but I never allowed myself the indulgence of meditating on giving up. I just didn't allow myself the, that, that indulgence. I just, I, I, sometimes I'd think about giving up. But maybe that would be for an hour at the very most. I never let myself go into a day and a week or, you know, I'm really meditating or going to write the, you know, the school and say, hey, you know, I'm out or whatever. Number three, faith is evidenced by your words. Faith is evidenced by your words. What you say is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so your words are very, very important. Now, I'm not one of these people that says, somebody says, um, you know, somebody says, oh, I'm afraid it's going to snow today. Oh, don't say it, you're afraid because that's going to, no, I'm not talking about you know, being that, that, that kind of uh, picky un. But I am suggesting to you that the words you choose really, really matter. And rather than say, I don't know if I'm going to make it, you can easily, just as easily choose to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he's going to help me. He's going to work in my life. He's going to do for me what I can only, what only he can do. Number, are we on number five? Is that where we're on? No, four. The next thing is we're actually going to speak to our mountain. We're actually going to speak to the problem. We're actually going to open up our mouth and speak to the problem. When 
I was pastoring in a church in Florida, and when I went to the church, they owed at that time, I seem to be missing the amount of money they owed in my mind right now. I think it was $240,000. That was 20-some years ago. And for a church that size, for them, it was a challenge. Now, what's interesting is today, you know, that $240,000 is not seemingly as much, but for them, it was a challenge. And what was making it even a greater challenge was they had no, they, they, they had no plan to pay it off. They were just going to pay interest in perpetuity. And so that's what they'd always done. And by the way, some of the interest they were originally paying was 12% on bonds that people had bought. So if you owned a bond and you were being paid 12%, you know what? You didn't even want them to pay the bill. <laughs> you know, you, you didn't want them to pay off your bond. You wanted to keep this gravy train going. When I got there, they were only paying 8%, so I, I didn't buy any. And, um, and so I began to say, this is not right. And so anyway, one of the things we did was we began to ask them, well, how long do you think it will take to pay off this debt? Because we're going to pay it off. Because that's all, again, up to this point, that's all they ever did was pay interest and just left the, left the principal amount owing. And I began to challenge them. So we went out one night and we all walked around the, uh, it was about 30 acres of campus, and we just said, now, Lord, um, how long do you think it's going to take? And one group came back, and they had their little small group, and then they made their report. And their report was it was going to take us 10 years to pay off the 200 and whatever it was. And I thought to myself, it's unlikely that Sweetie Petey will be here if that's the case. And I began to challenge them, and I challenged them that we would pay this off in five years. But one of the things we did was as a group is on Sunday night, that's back when we were so unspiritual, we had to go to church on Sunday night too. And, um, and so we all gathered at church on Sunday night and we would pray have, at the end of the service. We would pray for various things. The group would pray. And, and uh, so I began to get them to pray over this debt. That in five years we would pay off the debt. And so I would get the group up up front and I would say, now let's pray against the debt. And they would stand there and look at me like an old cow looking at a new gate. And I'd say, well, yeah, but so, so I had to give them more instruction. I knew they didn't know what I meant. So I said, let's pray debt go in Jesus' name. Now think about it. You're talking to some kind of ethereal thing that's out there that's you know, how do you, how do you even command debt? What is debt? You know, it's not like even talking to an animal or talking to a person or, you know, you're, you're talking to something you can't even see. It's not tangible. But we began to speak and we began to say, debt, go, in Jesus' name. That was our, our line, debt, go. Well, I had some, I had some leaders, some deacons, demons, and, um, and so um, uh, they... They were there, and, and they were kind of like the Sanhedrin type. They stood back there behind the crowd because they were, they were making sure we were doing it right. And they were saying, and I'd say, let's say debt go. And a group of them would begin to say, debt go, you know, and, and really enthusiastically say it. But these other folks who were, whatever, smarter or more spiritual than us, they stood there and they would go, and I, and I, you know, you're up front, you can see this. And they would kind of roll their eyes. And they'd say, debt, go, in Jesus' name. And I could see this, and it was discouraging. Nevertheless, I just continued to encourage the people. 
every Sunday night, debt go in Jesus' name. And you know, those people who were doubtful actually eventually began to catch on because in 29 months, the debt was gone in Jesus' name. In 29 months. What somebody said would take 10 years, by the way, what somebody said would just pay interest forever, and then somebody else came along and said, it'll take 10 years, and the, and the new preacher came along and said, it would take five years, and then as we began to command and speak to debt, something that's even intangible, but we began to command it to go, what happens? In 29 months, we were chopping off $14,000 a month off the debt, and, 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 and people were calling us saying, hey, don't, 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 don't pay off my bond, because <laughs> they, they kind of like the interest coming in. But we began to say, debt, go, in Jesus' name. Well, what was interesting is, then they began to say, hey, there's other things we could be doing that we heretofore have not been doing, we felt we could never, ever do. Well, if God will take care of debt like that, then won't he begin to give us the ability to do other things we would never have been, never even thought we're able to do? So you don't just talk about your problems. So if you're dealing with a situation, in a marital situation, we say marital conflict, go in the name of Jesus. Or we say in the name of Jesus, uh, child of uh, my child, my son, my daughter, come home. Come home. I command you in the name of Jesus. The porch light is still on. You can come home. There's, there's freedom and there's liberty and there's forgiveness here. Come home, child. Come home. And you name the child's name. Betty, come home in Jesus' name. Myrtle, come home in Jesus. I want to use some popular names now. See, that's why I'm doing it. Cecil, come back to Jesus in Jesus' name. You know, Myrtle Hump, Ethel Tibbetts, you come back in the name of Jesus. And we speak their names. Number five, we expect it and thank God for it. So then, as we began to command the debt to go, we also began to say, thank you, Lord, the debt is going in Jesus' name. And it was a little slow getting started, but thank you, Lord, the debt is going in Jesus' name. So not only were we speaking to the debt, we were anticipating that it was actually going to happen. We were not schizophrenic in our faith. We said, thank God. As you deal with problems, you build yourself up by praising God, and we speak confidence in him that what we are believing for will come to pass. Listen to what the scripture says. I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains. Now, many times we've interpreted this scripture variously, and I'm going to take an interpretation that may be different than anything you've ever heard, but I look up to my mountains. I look up to my wayward child. I look up to my, my difficult debt situation. I look up to my marital crisis. I look up to my physical body issues. Whatever the case may be, I look up to sickness and disease, or I look up to the situation in our country. I look to my mountains, and I say, where is my help ever going to come from? Where is my help going to come from? And what's the scripture say? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. The one who put those mountains there is the one who can move those mountains. The one who is able, the one who's able to intervene with, with, with his supernatural into my natural. That one, I look to my mountains and I ask in despair sometimes, where's my help going to come from? And God says, let me tell you this, your help is going to come from me. I'm the one who created all things and if I can create all things, I can recreate create everything. That's what I'm going to do. Number six, see it happen, then thank God for it by giving him all the glory. Can I tell you what's really interesting? Is how many times we pray for the sick, they end up going to the hospital or the doctor, 
they get therapeutics from the doctor, and we'll praise UPMC, and we'll praise the doctor, and we'll praise everybody else, but Jesus gets none of the glory. I am absolutely jealous for the glory of God. I don't care how, how God heals you. After I've prayed for you, I'm going to give God all the glory. I thank him for medicine. I thank him for the people who he uses in my life that have helped me. I thank him for the guy that gave me the B12, and I thank him for all that. But having said that, when it's all said and done, it's Jesus who's the healer, and I'm going to make sure he's going to get all the glory for it. Will you give God glory for everything? You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, so we bow our heads and we pray, dear Lord, we thank you for the food, and somebody says, somebody says, well... And what do you think? I actually was in a home one time with him. There was a man that wasn't, and he was the provider. And he said, thanking God, he said, I'm the guy that worked all week for it. I stepped back. I was waiting for the, the lightning bolt from heaven to come. Because <laughs> the scripture says that he opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. And number seven. Deal with bigger mountains behind the mountain already moved. You know what's behind your mountain? A bigger one. And do you know why? Because you're, he's training you. He's training you for bigger things. I'd like to think that the mountains I've dealt with in my life are the only mountains I will ever have to deal with. And, you know, now that I've gone through that, kind of I'm done that, now I'm, you know... You know, I raised, we raised three children, one of each, and, um, and, and uh, it was, you know, it was wonderful, and we went through some mountains raising them, et cetera, et cetera. But now we've got six grandchildren, and they're a, they're a bigger mountain than the three children. Three of them belong to ISIS, and the other three belong to Al-Qaeda, and, uh, the, the, you know, we're just really dealing with, with, with the mountains in their life and praying that their parents will have wisdom raising them. And we as grandparents are a part of their spiritual journey. Can I tell you what God is doing? God is training us for greater challenges behind what he is already taking us through. So what's behind your mountain? It's a mother mountain. And we speak to mountains in faith, and we're prepared for bigger mountains in the future. God is strengthening you for what is ahead. There are no unmovable mountains with Jesus. With men, the scripture says, things are impossible. Not with God, for with God, all things are possible. This is the confidence from the King James Version. It'll appear differently on the screen. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we should ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us, and we have the petitions that we've, des we've desired of him. We have confidence in him. We know that mountains can move. But now I know a mountain can move. When I know I've prayed for somebody with the common cold and they've got well, now I'll pray with somebody who's got the flu and they'll get well and then I'll pray for somebody who's got a little more difficult situation and then with somebody with a little more difficult situation and you know what God is training us for reigning with him one day you're going to rule and reign with Christ and he is training you in your in, in as, as one who's going to be a government official in the, in the kingdom of God and he's training you to take mountains on that's what he's doing knowing this we know that only resistance builds strength. I note that our youth pastor is here this morning 
Reverend Michael Marshall, and uh, he's a good man. He, he's, he's, I believe he's a Christian, and um, <laughs> somewhat, and um, he, he's a good man. But you know, when he started doing what he is doing now, the first steps he took in his ministry in this community that, that he's involved in, and the Refuge Youth Network is so amazing. I mean, it's just amazing how God has given him. I mean, if I was God, I wouldn't have blessed him, okay? But how God has given him favor, just favor after favor after favor. People are actually lining up to bless him. And that ministry has just expanded. But I can imagine hiring his first staff person. I imagine that was, at night, am I going to be able to, you know, how am I going to, and I hope that, and I wish, and if only, and, and, and yet he says, I'm going to plow through. And then they hire two, and then they hire three. And so how many you got working for you now, like 300 or something? Five. He's got five people. This is, un- this is unheard of in a little rural area. And you've got this huge network. Can I just tell you, friends, it didn't happen overnight, but it happened as God gave him strength to deal with the first mountain. Now the problems he's dealing with, he almost wishes he had the old problems. The old problems didn't seem like that big of a deal now. You know, to raise $1,000 for an event, he has to raise tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Ruth and I gave him a, a couple dollars last year. I mean, it was wonderful. And you can see, he's, ever since, he tries to get over my house all the time, and it's just... I just have to say no. <laughs> Only resistance builds strength. Only resistance builds strength. And so if you have some resistance in your life, God is challenging you. No wonder David said this. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. You know what he's doing? He's training your hands for war. He's training you to do spiritual warfare. He's training you to deal with finances. He's training you to deal with lost loved ones. He's training you to deal with demonic powers of darkness. He's training you. And as you deal with one situation, what you'll find behind that mountain, and you'll go, oh, no, I hope not. I'm just getting rid of this one mountain. You'll find there's even a bigger mountain there. Why is he doing that? Because he doesn't love you? No, he's training you so that you'll be able to take mountains you never, ever expected you'd be able to take. Imagine old... David, we talked about him last week, young David. He said, well, if I can just you know, get, take care of the sheep, I'll be fine. I get through this, I'll be all right, but then there's a bear. He gets through the bear, but then there's a lion. He gets through the lion, but then there's Goliath. He gets through Goliath, and then he, he begins to take kingly rule in Israel. And he has to face armies that are far greater and more sophisticated than any army. David needed even greater things that were ahead of him, for eventually he became the warrior king. God was training his hands for war just when he began to take care of sheep. I go back to you, young couple. God is training your hands for war. He's building us up to make us more effective for greater defeats in the future. Today is my son's 38th birthday. 38 years ago today, he was born. It was on an early Monday morning, 1 o'clock Monday morning. And I, and I look back over his life, and I reflect on the things that God did 
in him, through him, despite him. And I remember him when he was a baby, and he had, a, he had those, those ear infections that babies get, and those throat infections, and ear infections, and throat infections. And we, we, you know, we have socialized medicine in Canada, and so we, we took him uh, to the veterinarian. And, um, and, and so the doctors all said, you know, he, you know, he, he's, he, you know, and they give you some medicine, a mox of whatever, and exactly. And so we'd do that, and he'd get better, and then a couple weeks later, he'd have it again, he'd have it again. And finally, one day, they said to us, you know, this is the last, we can't keep doing this. If he does not get better, we're going to have to replace the tubes. You know those tubes you have that's somewhere here, the fallopian tubes or something? Anyway, whatever they're called. And... Um, <laughs> Um, I, I, I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> Test tubes, whatever they're called. But anyway, so th this, this thing here, and some of you are going, this man is a total idiot. All right. And um, so, so then we're starting to say, well, we don't want our son to have an operation, you know, and we kind of started taking it more serious, I guess. And so we brought him to the front of the church. And they began to lay hands on him. And they began to ask Jesus to heal his young little body. He was about 18 months old. And we never ever went back to the doctor for an ear infection. Jesus is his healer. Jesus is his healer. So that's, that's he's 18 months old. We're now living in the United States. We came to the United States 29 years ago this month. And... We're living in the United States. The children went home uh, to Canada every summer, for which we are very grateful and thank God. And uh, they went home. We stayed in Florida. And uh, we get a call one day. And the call is from my sister-in-law saying that Nathan fell out of a tree. And he landed on his head. So thank God nothing was injured. And um, so he, he lands on his head, and it's, he's exhibiting all the classic signs of having a concussion. Well, we didn't have good American health insurance, and we certainly didn't have any health insurance in Canada. And so we're trying to figure this out, what we should do, and we had to make a decision what my sister-in-law was going to do. And it was to spend maybe thousands of dollars to have him checked out and, you know, nothing be wrong with him any more than is normally wrong with him. Or do we, do we do nothing and find out that we, you know, irretrievably, you know, his, he, he has some sort of brain injury or something. And so that was what we were kind of, and we had to deal with this in real time very, very quickly. And so I remember just, you know, talking to my wife, and we had a couple of friends who were physicians, and my wife was on the phone with, one was a pediatrician, and we were, she was on the phone with her, and another lady physician friend, and we were on the phone, and, and they were giving us counsel and advice, but of course nobody wants to say because they haven't examined the child or anything, and so he's in Canada, we're there, and I remember going in the bedroom and praying, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God came upon me, 
Almost like David when he was with uh, Saul and he said, listen, I took care of the lion, I took care of the bear, and what's this uncircumcised Philistine going to do, etc., etc. That's, that's what kind of happened to me. I began to become indignant. And I said, in the name of Jesus, Father, you did not raise my son up to be laying at the bottom of a tree somewhere and to be injured irretrievably. And I say, in the name of Jesus, son, and I began to say, Nathan, in the name of Jesus, receive the touch of the master, be healed, be whole in Jesus' name. And within just a few minutes, they started to say, he's coming around. He can start to remember. He's, things are starting to come back to him. In a couple of hours, they call back and say, we don't really see any difference. And, and, and then a couple of hours later, he's showing no ill effects. Let me tell you, friends, if we hadn't had the experience with the tubes and the ear deal a few years earlier, I maybe wouldn't have had the strength. But as God gave us the ability to raise the boy, and we began, our faith began to build, and as our faith begins to build, we found another mountain, and the mountain was bigger. Well, take us up to a couple of years ago, uh, five or six years ago now. I've told some of this story before, and I won't go into it all right now. But other than to say that, that there was an incredible crisis in Nathan's life, and, and we didn't know what to do, and, and we were just overwhelmed. And I remember one of, one of my other children calling up and was almost frantic with, what are we going to do, and, and began to speak incredible words of doubt. And, and, and I know I spoke too quickly. I know I was too harsh, but I said, we'll have none of that here. We're not going to get into doubt and fear and unbelief. We're going to speak faith over this situation. We're going to prophesy into the environment. We're going to say, I know my Redeemer lives. We're going to say, Jesus is able. We're going to say, let there be a divine breakthrough. Instead of speaking all this doubt and fear and unbelief. And I know I was a little harsh. But I felt like we're not going to, we're not going to get anywhere if we, if we start whining and complaining. Jesus didn't say whine and complain about your mountains. He said speak to your mountains. And my wife and I began to pray. And we began to speak to the mountain of this thing. And we said go in Jesus' name. Go in the name of Jesus. And then we watched as the weeks went by and nothing was really happening that was that positive. And then one night he ends up in a meeting over in Mechanicsburg. And as he ends up in that meeting, God does surgery on his soul for four hours. The lights were off. People are all gone. They pick him up as though almost dead and they drag him into the car and all night long the presence of Jesus envelops him and he gets up and he's a different man than he ever was before. And he began to cry out to God like he never has before. He gets home and the situation is, is what we sometimes say in Canada worse sir. It's not as good as it ever. And listen, it did get worse. It was more d difficult. It was more uh, catastrophic than we even imagined. And, and he gets home and he's, he's texting me messages on Sunday morning saying, Dad, what am I going to do? I've got to get up and preach, but this is happening, that is happening, what can I do? And I'm in front of my, my service and I'm texting him back encouragement and trying to tell him, keep on, we've got the word of the Lord. God spoke to you clearly that night. You heard his voice. It was clear, unmistakable. God said things to him through another prophet who knew nothing of your situation. He said very specific things. God is going to do this. But in my heart, I was fearful in my heart I was struggling but I said I'm going to do whatever I can do I took my mustard seed of faith what's that I can speak the word of God and I began to say God you promised God you said and then one afternoon from 3.30 to 6.30 on a Saturday afternoon God came into their home and he did surgery in a three hour period it went from rebellion to repentance to restoration God came in a powerful way he set free he delivered what was behind 
behind the mountain of the, of the year situation was another mountain when he fell at the bottom of the, of the tree. What was behind the mountain of the bottom of the tree? It was a great marital crisis. What was behind that mountain? We don't know. But one thing I do know is that God strengthened the resolve of my wife and I that the destiny of my boy, 38 years old today, is going to be fulfilled. He's going to serve God. He's going to lead others to serve God. Healing power comes into his life. He has the ability to take new territory. Why? Because my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. With this last little exhortation, I stop. We don't give up. My daughter is, I think, working today. and She is, as I've said before, an emergency room and a, and a, and a um, critical care nurse. I'm not sure what critical care nurses do. I think they go around the hospital and they criticize the care. Anyway, um, and so my daughter was in various places in the world. She, remember I was speaking about her last week about being in Mozambique with Heidi Baker and that ministry and some of the things that went on there. She has seen hundreds and hundreds of people healed. She saw it when she traveled with us as a family and saw it when we were in ministry. She saw it in the various ministries. And one day a lady came in. The lady's family were believers. And they were sitting there and for some reason, just inextricably, this lady who was in deep uh, physical stress, but she was only in her mid-30s, she went into immediate cardiac arrest. And the machines all start going, whatever they do, beeping and all that. And my daughter is 4 foot 11, and usually the beds are a little bit higher than what is easy for her to work on. Had no choice, because sometimes she did chest compressions from, from the side of the bed, and you have to get a backboard under her, but she had no time. This was... And so she immediately jumped up on top of the bed with the patient. And with her legs, she straddled that patient. And she began to do the chest compressions, but she didn't just do chest compressions. She began to command life to come back into that woman. The family who were obviously Pentecostal charismatic believers began to pray in the Holy Spirit. And she began to do chest compressions, and she did them with everyone. She said, I command you in the name of Jesus. It was almost like the hands and the emphasis was on every word. Life, come back in Jesus' name. Now, friends, this isn't an evangelist. This isn't somebody we would expect on some, you'd get from somebody on TV. This is just a nurse working in a hospital. Because some of you are saying, some of the stories you're telling, you know, well, you're a preacher. That's what you expect. No, no. This is not anything that any one of you couldn't do. In fact, I would almost argue most of you could do it better. And she said, all of a sudden, the beeping of the machines stop. And the lines that were all over the place, or actually the lines that were flat, now began to gyrate and be all over the place. And the woman began to... 
begin to suck air and life came into her body. My colleagues are here and they're going to sing. But I have a declaration for you today. and It's found in the following scripture. I want you to read the scripture with me. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. Listen to what I'm going to say to you. Some of you today, I declare to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, your mountains are going to melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is coming into your difficult situations, into your finances, into your physical body, into, into reluctant fr friends and neighbors and relatives who are, who are rebellious against the things of God. The mountain is going to melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. And He's the Lord of all the earth. He's the Lord of every situation. We impose His Lordship now on that sick body. In the name of Jesus, I say that body will be healed in Jesus' name. We declare it. We speak it. We speak to the mountain. We say sickness go in the mighty name of Jesus. Go! We command it to go. We say child, son, daughter, you're away. Grandchild, you're so far from God. You're so steeped in wokeism and every philosophy that's anti-God. You're steeped in it. And in the name of Jesus, I say, young man, young woman, uh, grandchild, the porch light is still on. There's a father looking down the lane. He's welcoming you back. The mountain of their resistance is going to be broken in the name of Jesus. I speak over finances that need to be healed. The Lord of all the earth, the one who owns the cattle on the thousand hills, is going to bring in the resources for that ministry heretofore that have been so resistant. We say in the name of Jesus, the resistance is going to go. Debt, go. Resources, come in. In the name of Jesus. Relationships that have been broken are going to melt. The brokenness is going to melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Is there someone here who says, I can choose to believe God for that? I can choose. I can make a conscious decision to choose God, to believe God for that. All over this room, is there somebody who would agree with me this morning to say, I know my mountain's going to move in Jesus' name. I know my mountain's going to move. I speak to my mountain, and I say, mountain, go in the name of Jesus. Mountain, be cast into the sea in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. We're going to let him do what he wants to do.